Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest Half Street High Heat. This is episode 102. Thank you for joining us as always. We appreciate you. Um, I am joined as always by my vagarious co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Make sure you check us all out on Twitter. You can find our handles at the Half Street High Heat account. Also, make sure you check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com, which we update all the time with all kinds of good stuff. Uh, the new podcast episodes you can get there, the latest articles. Today there's one about the Nats pitching rotation and how it's doing so far this spring. And also um, the latest videos from the rundown with Half Street High Heat, which is our YouTube channel, which if you haven't already done, please subscribe to. How you guys doing? Long time no talk. I know it's been forever. 48 hours. <laughs> Has it? I guess so. Ish. Something it, close to that. I don't even remember doing an episode this week. Really? Yeah. Must have been a memorable one. I hope everybody else remembers it more than you do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. AL East, and that's about yes. it. AL East. Well, we're going to start what I think is going to be even more fun than our division previews, which is going to be our divisional opponent previews. We're going to be talking NLE's teams for the next few episodes. And tonight we will cover the Marlins, but we will get to that in a bit. Um, let's start out with our quick pitch segment. Our quick, quick pitch question tonight is, who is one current free agent we could still see the Nats add? Uh, I mean, there's definitely a, a bunch of different directions you can go with this because, for instance, you know, we still have a hole at, I mean, mainly third base, but if you wanted to add a second baseman and move Castro to third, you know, that would be acceptable as well. Um, the pitching depth, as we have seen, is not great, not deep. <laughs> to put it lightly. The depth is not um, deep. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't hurt to have more bullpen arms because it is such a, a volatile thing from year to year. Uh, even, you know, the top-end guys have ups and downs. Um, Ryan brought up a great one last week or two weeks ago uh, in Anibal Sanchez. Um, so I'm not going to take that one, but there are, uh, you know, a couple pitchers, starting pitchers, I should say, that are available, and I'm going to go with Mike Leake um, because – you know, he's experienced. He's only 33. Um, so, you know, there is – it's not like he's old and decrepit and, you know, his arm's falling off. Like, he, he is known for being an innings eater. He's not a world beater by any means. 
but if you need someone in it to come in and uh you know eat some innings and you know keep the ship afloat so to speak for the fourth or fifth spot in the rotation he can do that and you know he just might pitch better than some of the options we have in-house so I think that's a serviceable one and I mean it, it's March 17th so you're not going to find anyone superb on the market but I no. think that's, that's a viable one Probably not. I was actually um, going to go Michael Franco, but I went right before we started recording and saw that the Orioles signed him like an hour ago. It was like yeah. yesterday, but yeah. It was oh. also my week review on the last episode, so oh, I okay. to see Amanda pays attention. I missed that one. I missed that one. So I think I'm going to go in a similar vein that you did, Nick, which is I was going to say Rick Porcello. I forgot who, he hadn't signed yet. Yeah, he's one of the last guys from the top 50 list going into the offseason. And, you know, a lot of the same things you just said about Mike Leake, he he can chew up innings for you. He's not going to, you know, he's not a sexy signing, especially at this point, but he's only 32 years old. Um, he's, you know, durable. He plays a lot of games. He, you know, he makes a lot of starts. So I mean, that, that's I think Cy Young award-winning Rick Porcello. Exactly. You. He's a former Cy Young winner. He's, you know, <laughs> Most he's fraudulent got, Cy Young in history. I know. Well, you might also say Trevor Bauer, but that's another conversation. Ooh. I'm just saying it was a 60-game season. Anyway, like I said, another conversation. But, um, yeah, I feel like you could do a lot worse at this point in the season than to pick up a guy like Porcello, especially when we have such a lack of starting pitching depth. Agreed. So I'm looking at this team's biggest weakness, and it's Carter Keebum. Um, Carcubum is this team's biggest weakness, and I am going to address that by signing Eduardo Nunez. He's kind of someone you could platoon in. He's got speed. He also has a pretty decent bat when he's healthy, and he is solid defensively as well. He's not going to give you the greatest production in the world, but you know what you're going to get out of him, kind of like you know what you're going to get out of Josh Harrison, and he's better than Kibum. Also allows Kibum to go back down. Um, AAA and develop more. If you start Josh Harris at third, he could be your bench guy. He can also spot start at second and third. So I can go ahead and just provide more flexibility and depth to this infield. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, Keyboom has been not good so far this spring. I mean, there was all this you know hype going into like, oh well, he's going to come in here and impress us in spring training and show us why he should be the starting third baseman. But I can't understand why they're just handing him that job. It seems a little bit crazy to me. Yeah, it's not even bring in. Yeah, they know, haven't brought in anybody to compete. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah, competition. Yeah, we will. Uh, but one other, uh, you know, possibility worth mentioning is Shane Green. You know, he was coveted at the trade deadline in 2019. Once he got to Atlanta, he absolutely, you know, blew up and was not good whatsoever. But he's only 32, and we have seen that potential before out of the closer spot. And, you know, wherever he goes, he probably won't even need to close. So less pressure. But that's one, you know, if the Nats really wanted to get still a top-tier option for his respective positions, Shane Green could be a, you know, late acquisition before the, the season starts. I don't think they're going to make any more acquisitions, but it's fun to speculate. Probably not, but, you know, you never know. All right. Can we have the week in review, please, Mr. Ryan? Yes, it is time for your mid-week and review. And the regular season is coming soon, but Major League Baseball drama never stops. LeBron James has long been an owner of the Boston Celtics, but now he expanded his ownership of Boston. And he's now a part-time owner of, excuse me, he's now a minority owner of the Boston Red Sox. He has joined the Fenway Sports Group as a partner. There is a growing sense of concern among major league executives about not only the pace of play, but the growing decline of action during the games. One league exec says, quote, it's the greatest crisis the game faces and the next five years will either be the national pastime or a niche sport, end quote. Another club executive said, quote, if we don't make big changes, I'm worried about baseball as an entertainment business. Our game isn't showing the great athletes we have, end quote. Why is this such an issue? Because last year, games took three hours and seven minutes, and it was the least amount of hits per game they ever had since 1968. The only other season that was lower was 1906. This is yet another thing that is going to come up during the CBA negotiations, and this one is probably more important than all the other ones that they're going to negotiate, 
and it's going to figure out how to get more action into the game. Since the start of the pandemic, violence against Asian Americans has risen by over 150%, and that's an increase that has been attributed to the incendiary and racist rhetoric around the origin of the coronavirus by a former politician. Yesterday was the latest attack and instance of violence that left eight dead. Six of them were Asian Americans. You can do your part to help make a difference and help stop Asian hate. Donate to Hate is a Virus. They are a nonprofit organization that was created to combat the xenophobic and racism that has been growing against the Asian American community that is being fueled by COVID-19. This has been your week in review. Thank you, sir. All right, let's chat next about Victor Robles. There was a long article about his changes he made last year. Everybody noticed how much bigger he looked and um, how he's trying to slim down and get more back to his uh, 2019 self. Ryan, um, I know you had posted that online earlier and I read it when you sent it in there. What were your thoughts on that? Man, this is really awkward. This is kind of like when a teacher calls on you in class, tells you like, hey, what did I just talk about? Because I <laughs> I, co- I copied and pasted this entire ar- uh, article into Twitter <laughs> and I did not read the article. I read oh. bits and pieces of it, but I did not <laughs> read the article. I, I guess I'm the only one of us who actually <laughs> read the article. <laughs> so I read like parts of it to make sure I was continuing it and not like pacing anything else if you work for the athletic i did not i did not do what i just said if you work for the athletic with the thing that i just said that was just a made-up story that didn't yeah no no, that that didn't happen so i did not read it but i know the gist of it is that victor robles was trying to be so and he wasn't and that was a power hitter so that seems like a good news that victor robles's focus is going back onto his defense and speed because I do believe his future and being successful in this league is going to be a leadoff type. If he's going to be the try someone who's going to hit bomb after bomb, he's not going to be very good. It's kind of going to be more of what we have seen in his very short career so far. Yeah, it was actually a really, really good article. If you have The Athletic, please make sure you go out and read it. It's terrific. And if you don't have The Athletic, I know it costs a little bit of money. It really is worth it. They're doing a promotion where it's a dollar a month right now. Oh, there you go. So it's really, really worth it. It's it's really high-quality journalism that you're getting in long-form articles and the kind of stuff you don't see on most websites. So I really like The Athletic. Anyway, uh, it was a great article. It was really interesting. I, I think everybody noticed last year that Robles didn't seem like himself. And the article went into great depth about how he went back home to the Dominican Republic in the off season and worked with a different hitting coach than he ever has before. He's always worked the same guy ever since he, even before he signed when he was 16. Um, So this guy was trying to kind of get him to bulk up and hit more home runs and just, you said, Ryan, be somebody he really wasn't. And um, what he found was that the extra bulk caused him to lose his speed and his agility in the outfield that had made him such a good defender. So not only was he not hitting a lot of home runs, which was the whole point, but he also was kind of actively harming what had been his strengths. So he's about 10 pounds heavier now than he was two years ago, but um, he had been about 20 pounds heavier. So he slimmed back down about half of that weight he had put on and uh, picked up his speed again. So it's, it's interesting. I think he looks a lot better this spring training than he did all of last year. So it looks like he's doing something right. But we talked before about how important it is that Robles can be effective in that leadoff spot because if he can then the lineup works in a way that it just can't if you have to put Trey up at the top of the lineup yeah Bryce went through the same thing I don't know what year would have been probably like 2013 2014 um and he tried to bulk up and just kind of hit you know only focus on home runs and it was Ian Desmond who really told him that you know it wasn't about the bulk it was just you know you can just tone so to speak um, and still, you know, generate that power you're looking for. Um, but Robles doesn't have that natural pop. And even in his swing, Bryce's swing is one of the more aggressive swings in the league. And it works for him, but it doesn't work for everyone. Um, some people have smooth, simple swings because they just prefer to make contact and whatever. But, you know, it, it's important that Robles knows who he is as a ball player and he's never going to be that guy to hit 40, 50 bombs and we don't need him to be, obviously it would be nice, but you know, where he's at in the lineup right now. And with that speed, 
we need him to be a leadoff guy. So that requires yeah. contact, not contact for the fences every and you know, plate discipline, which, you know, you can have all the, the power and bulk in the world, but if you can't make contact, it doesn't matter, which is why, you know, Barry Bonds is still a Hall of Famer. Um, but, you know, with, with Vic, his plate discipline just hasn't been up to par. So, you know, he can add all the muscle he wants, but we, we didn't see anything uh, come to fruition at the plate, and it hurt him in other areas that he was. That's where his, his value was coming from, um, you know, overall. So uh, I'm glad he slimmed back, slim back down and, uh, you know, is looking a lot better than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Ryan, do you have any thoughts to add that aren't directly related to having read the article, or should I move on? <laughs> no, so this is something that I've noticed across a lot of sports. Football is not included in this, but there's been, like, the movement, and we saw it in baseball. We've Bryson seen it in DeChambeau. We've seen it in golf. All these guys want to bulk up because they think they're going to be able to hit it farther, they're going to hit it harder, and they're going to become better, and you see it in golf. And these guys get too big and they end up getting hurt and they're not nearly as good. And we kind of see that in baseball as well. You know, Bryce always bulked up, like you said, and there's a lot of guys who do that. And it's just really interesting because that's been like the latest movement in sports, even though it doesn't work. What does that say? Dad bods rule yet again. That's my last comment on it, but hopefully Slim Vic can figure it out. Slim just, Vic. That's Slim what we should Vic. start calling him this year. Slim Vic. Because this, this yeah. team really needs him. You also can't, you know, really afford to bulk up that much when you play a premier defensive position. Like if Trey bulked up, you know, maybe I guess it's a little bit different this year because he's hitting third. At least that's what it looks like. So maybe he wants to be more of a prototypical third um, three-hole hitter. But, you know, shortstop, center field, you know, you're going to need that range mm -hmm. to play that premier defensive position. So if you're sacrificing your your speed, which in turn is hindering your range, then you're not cut out for that position. So I think we can all agree that we'd rather Robles be, you know, an average hitter and elite defensively than average defensively and, you know. And average hitter. Average, because <laughs> average hitter, yeah, because nothing really changed. And actually, I felt like he was, last year, it, it seemed like he bulked up in, in the attempt to hit more home runs, but he didn't. I mean, he wasn't the contact he was making wasn't that good. You know, it just didn't seem like it worked for him at all. So I'm glad last, to see him get back to himself. Last year, and, you know, if he says it, it was an attempt to bulk up, you know, that's fine. But last year, it didn't look like a good bulk. No. Last year, it looked like he, he just came into camp heavy, which we've seen plenty of times across all sports. It's not completely uncommon. So it's not like, you know, Victor Robles doesn't take baseball seriously or anything like that but it didn't look like good weight like when bite oh god i can't talk when bryce bulked up it was clear like he was shredded and he didn't need to be that way but robles's bulk didn't look normal but regardless it's a moot point now that he slimmed back down and he was back to you know his normal baseball profile yeah and i think you're right you made a great point about his he's if he could just be an average hitter that would be fine with me given what he offers defensively but you, you just need him to get on base at this point. Like, we don't need home runs out of the leadoff spot. Just get on base, make contact, and get those strikeouts down. You know, I, I'd love to see a lot more walks from him and a lot fewer strikeouts. Right. If he hits, you know, 240, hit 240. But if you're getting on base at a 370, 380 clip, then, you know, I'll take that. Yeah. Batting average isn't everything. Right. Got it. Okay. Well, we are going to do our Marlins preview, but before we do that, a word from our sponsor. Yes, fellas, talked about it on Tuesday, talking about it again today. Manscaped is your go-to for men's grooming. You know this by now. I've been preaching it, preaching it, preaching it, but, you know, the grind doesn't stop. You can't just groom yourself once and, you know, you're good to go forever. Like, you got to maintain it. Plus, Manscaped offers you so many products to do so. The Weird Whacker, which is the ears no ears and nose hair trimmer, you know, that can be done like once a week. In addition to the, the Lawnmower 3.0, they have your, you know, refined cologne, which can be used every day. And anytime you go somewhere, they have your ball toner and, you know, ball deodorant. That can be used every day. Like, it, it's not just a one-time deal. 
you buy these things and you get your money's worth right away because you can use them every single day. It's not like, you know, you want to buy the, the latest kitchen appliance, um, not an air fryer, your air fryer, you know, pays for itself. But, uh, you know, if you want to buy the latest kitchen appliance, you're like, oh, I'm only going to use that once or twice, you know, in the next six months, it's not worth it. With Manscaped products, you can use it every day. You will be happy. You're going to get your money's worth, but we've made it even better for you. We partnered with Manscaped. You can use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping, your entire order, no exclusions. So there's literally no reason not to do it. I encourage it. I will always support it. Love it. They love us. Happy as clan. So much love. Everybody loves everybody. All the love. <laughs> All the love. All right. Let's get into the Marlins. So hmm. probably the least... Um, scary team in the division, although better than they used to be. And they've got a pretty bright future when you actually dig down into what's going on there. Um, Ryan, why don't you start us off? What are kind of your initial thoughts going into the season about the Marlins? Um, so I just want to say that we were going to have an interview to do this with um, for, a lot of these, for a lot of these NLEs teams, but um, DC Nashak is dead and all those people don't follow me on my new account, so I can't message them again. So our interview is <laughs> ourselves right now, breaking this down. Hey. The, Mar <laughs> the Marlins are a really interesting team. They overperformed last year. Um, I, they're not going to be that good, but they're not going to be an easy out. They're not going to be that team you can roll over every single time. Um, they're, they're a good team. They are a couple of years away. By a couple, I mean they're about two to three years away, probably even more. That's about two to three from competing with 500. Right now, they're probably a 70 to 73 win team. But compared to what they used to be, that's a big step in the right direction. And then if you want to break it down by a position group, when you look at catchers, um, their catcher situation is atrocious. It's probably one of the biggest weaknesses on this team. Their three catchers are Jorge Alfario, Chad Wallach, and Sandy Leone. They're projected to have a combined .3 war. That is 29th in baseball. Only the Rockies are worse. So their catchers are a black hole. It is just not good. There is nothing good there in the catcher position. Um, not even really defensively either. Because when you're looking at it, sorry, I scrolled up by mistake. When you're looking at it, they're even projected negative defensive war. They're projected negative 2.3 defensive war. Wow. When you have a catcher, you're like, well, it's okay if they don't hit. They're not providing anything defensively either. So that is easily their biggest weakness. Okay. I like it. I mean, they're, they've got other weaknesses, but I think it's hard to argue that the catcher isn't the worst one. They, um, they, they've got a lot of prospects that when you read about them, they seem exciting, but I don't recall seeing anything. And I can't say I'm like an expert on their farm system, but any catching prospects that look like they're anywhere close to being able to come up and help them out. I mean, there's definitely a reason catching prospects are, you know, so highly coveted. Um, that's, you know, one reason, I believe his name is Adley Rushman. He's the catcher in the or Orioles organization. That's why he went one or two overall, whatever he went, because he plays that premier position. And, and we've talked about, you know, with, just with the Nats, how big of a black hole the catcher's position has been for years and years and years. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because finding a good catcher is few and far between. So when you do find one, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you need to jump on it uh, because they don't come around all that often. So it's not surprising to see the Marlins in that position. Yeah, they're they're worse than most. Like Ryan said, they're ranked 29th as far as uh, wins above replacement goes. But, you know, there's plenty of other teams that don't have great catchers either. Um, with the Marlins, you know, you got to give them a little bit more respect than in recent years because they did make the playoffs. And, you know, it is a shortened season, but every team had the chance to make the playoffs, especially in an expanded format, and the Nats didn't. So, you know, you have to give the Marlins some level of respect. They did overperform, so I do, I do agree with Ryan. But, you know, that potential is there. It's not like every team that um, wasn't expected to contend ended up contending. There, the, there were plenty of teams that we all predicted wouldn't do well that didn't do well last year, but the Marlins, you know, beat expectations. So that mm -hmm. potential definitely is there. I agree, you know, with Ryan. I still have them at probably 73 wins, but I think it's, 
I think that's pretty good for them. Honestly, I don't, I wouldn't consider that a failure coming off of a playoff trip last year and a playoff series win, I might add, but I just think, you know, over the course of 162 game season, this team isn't built to last. They have a lot of young, great prospects, but I don't think any of them have reached that star status yet, or even that superstar status. Um, Because, you know, you have a team full of, Good, solid prospects, but that doesn't get you very far. You're going to need that, you know, ace in the rotation, that three, four hole hitter that's just lighting everything up. You're you're going to need that if you truly want to compete. And the Marlins don't, but that doesn't mean they can't add one in, in the future. They did add Starling Marte, so you know that that's a good piece. If they want to move him at the deadline, they can you know only help their cause more with trying to you know, get younger and find cheap studs, sort of like what the Rays are doing. So I I think, you know, they're on the right track for the first time since, you know, the Stanton trade, really, because that's what kicked off this this whole thing. And they also added Gio Gonzalez and Ross Detweiler. So, I mean, they're going places. I mean, they are going for this Nats 2012 vibe right now, and I'm here for it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I I think I hear what you're saying about them having potential, and they don't have those pieces. Some of those prospects they've got might be those pieces two or three years from now, but for right now, I definitely... just not now. Sixtus Inches is dirty, but he's not going to be there this, this season. He's definitely the most fun guy to watch on the Marlins for me right now. But, uh, yeah, I just feel like they, they definitely overperformed last year. It was cool, kind of, to watch them make the playoffs, even though they're a division rival. It was sort of neat to see a, a Cinderella story like that. I don't think there's any chance they're getting in the playoffs with a regular format this year. As we've talked about, the Nats are going to be on the cusp of, you know, maybe falling short of making the playoffs, given some of the other teams in the NL. So I certainly can't see can't see the Marlins getting there this year. But... You know, they had a really they had a really fun season last year. I think it was good for their, you know, for their fan base, such as it is, to have an exciting year and, you know, good for some of those players to get a taste of the playoffs. And I expect them to be better this year than they had been in the past, but maybe not as good as last year. And the catcher sorry, go ahead, Ryan. They have they have pretty exciting pieces to touch up what you guys were saying. Um first and third base are their best two positions. Jesus Aguilar is the real deal. He's projected to finish 15th in the war out all MLB first baseman. That's higher than the nationals. And then Brian Anderson, at third there, he's projected to finish 16th in war out um, all third baseman also higher than the nationals, but the true strength of this team that no one's really talking about is their starting rotation. Mm-hmm. They are young. And so they're kind of projected low. They're projected to finish 25th and more. But their projected rotation is Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Azalar Hernandez, Sixto Sanchez, and Trevor Rogers. That is a very young rotation, but there are a lot of studs on it. There's a lot of guys, if they touch their potential or if they even come close to their potential, that is bold prediction here. I'm talking about if they touch their potential, has a chance to be a top 10, top 12 rotation in baseball. Yep. Um, especially down the line in a couple of years, you're looking at the chance for a very elite rotation. No one's really talking about it, but the Marlins rotation can play. And the NL East is, you know, the strength is the pitching. And I'm not saying it's up there with the, the, uh, the Mets or the Nats, but this is a rotation that you should not sleep on. And it's one that is going to win them games and kind of keep them relevant. Like I said, the 75 range, but everyone is sleeping on the Marlins rotation and it is by far and away the strength of this team. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we kind of saw the beginnings of that last year and then obviously COVID hit. So Ryan, like you said, people stopped talking about it, but you know, that was a a big strength of the Marlins playoff team last year was their, their pitching. And, you know, they do have this young rotation and Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, you look at the the NL East as a whole, you know, once the Nats rotation kind of ages out in a couple of years, which is going to happen, I don't think that's a surprise or, you know, no one should get mad at me for saying that. But once the Nats rotation ages out and the Mets have like outside of Jacob DeGrom, they have rotational turnover, you know, every two years. So who knows what their rotation looks like in two, three years. And, you know, the Braves haven't been able to establish an ace, you know, and I can't even 
remember they're they're the last real threat on the mound. So Ryan, like Ryan said, you know, the the starting pitching tends to put an NL East over the top in most in recent years. So the Marlins are poised to do that with a young, controllable rotation that are all projected to do pretty well in the future. It's just a matter of getting them the innings and experience to get there. But, you know, in 2023, 2024, Mm -hmm. this team, you know, might be able or might be more willing to go make that big free agent splash as far as the lineup goes because their pitching is so damn good and they're young and controllable. It's kind of like in football when you have a a stud rookie QB or or a stud QB on a rookie contract, you're more willing to put pieces around him because that's your best opportunity to win. Same, you know, logic applies to the Marlins. Their starting pitching may be so good in a couple of years that it's going to force them or, you know, motivate them to go fill in that supporting cast to make a deep run. So they are an exciting team, but they just don't get the hype that, you know, the the White Sox or the Blue Jays get. I think they're still a year or two behind where the White Sox or the Blue Jays are, but they have other prospects too. They've got those young pitchers who, as you pointed out, are controllable, which is a huge piece. And, you know, if those guys who some of whom have already spent some time in the big leagues are able to still, you know, they're going to still be here in two or three years. And some of these guys who are in their system now and haven't made the big leagues yet are going to be up in the next two or three years. They could actually be a pretty impressive team at that point. And if they do decide to actually spend some money out in free agency and put the, you know, get the missing pieces, they could definitely be contenders in a few years. And as you pointed out, I mean, Strasburg's not getting any younger. I can't imagine Max has more than, a couple more years left at the most if he if he stays with the Nats. So yeah. our our rotation is definitely, as we know, on the aged side, as is a lot of the rest of our team. But yeah, one, the Marlins have a bright future. Yeah, one point we you know tend to overlook on this podcast, and I think that's just because of you know Ryan and I's perspective on the Nats in particular is just like the best case scenario. So the best case scenario for the Marlins is. They're starting pitching, you know, maybe just two or three of them arrive this year. Like yeah. we, we, we've seen teams arrive early. I think the Braves, um, what, probably three years ago now when they got, they lost to the Dodgers in four in the NLDS, mm-hmm. that was them arriving too early. And then we saw the next two years, they put together much more, you know, Complete well-rounded teams. teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there is a situation where the Marlins do that. I don't know that they have the lineup to support that, but as far as their pitching goes, we very well could see that this year. It's not like unheard of, but they're going to need more than just one guy to, to arrive for them to be, you know, real contenders, at least this year. Yes, indeed. But it is, you know, it's fun to watch and it's fun. It's like, you can't even, I don't know. I, I can find lots of animosity for the Braves and the Phillies. And, and the Mets because they're good and they knock the Nats around a lot. It's been so long since the Marlins were any good that I find myself not really having any animosity toward them. If they start getting good again, I'm sure that will change. But yeah, you kind of look at them and go, well, that's fun. I hope, I hope for a good story that doesn't actually threaten the Nats in any way. Yep. Agreed. All right. So we talked a little bit about their catching their infield. We talked about their starting pitching. Um, how about the bullpen and outfield? Yeah, so the outfield strength is Starling Marte. Um, Starling Marte is, I forgot I forgot to mention him. I was talking about um, their best players with Jesus Aguilar. Starling Marte is their best player. He is going to be honing down center field. They also have Mitch Hanniger out there um, in right field, and I had left field here. But Wait, I, they have Mitch Hanniger? Yeah, Mitch Hanniger is a right fielder. No, he plays for the Marlins, or Mariners, dude. Oh, wait, maybe I looked at the wrong one, the wrong M team. I do that a lot. I think I'm dyslexic. <laughs> and the Marlins and the Mariners flunks you. That's yeah, sure. I, right. I was like, holy Corey shit. Dickerson. It was, I was like, did the Marlins add Mitch Hanniger? That's a huge addition for them. <laughs> I can't read. It's all right. All right. It's okay. so the, sorry, they have Corey. Oh, yeah, sorry. That was Mariners. Yeah, so they have Corey Dickerson in left, and then in right field, they have Adam Duvall. Dude, all Duvall, that was a good signing for them. He's not very good, but it was a good signing for them. So their outfield is going to be average. They have one standout guy out there. Kind of sounds a lot like the Nationals. But the only difference is the Nationals standout guy is a top five player in the game. So the Nationals are better 
in the outfield. There's the Marlins center fielder is better than the Nationals, so their biggest strength is Star Marte out there. Like you said, he could be a trade chip or he could be someone they try to you know build around with these younger guys out there. Their bullpen is not good. There's like no other way to put it. Um, I am I'm literally sitting here. I am scrolling and I have not come up past them yet. I'm gonna double check, make sure it's not the Mariners because I've done that on literally every single episode. So they're projected to come 23rd in war. Um, it's better than who I thought it was going to be, but it's still not good. Their bullpen is just a bunch of either young guys or some journeymen like Ross Detweiler, Adam Simber, James Hoyt, um, Dylan Florio, Yimi Garcia. Not exactly good. They do have some guys with potential, but we talked about how catcher was the biggest weakness they have offensively and in the field. Their rotation's bad. I mean, sorry, excuse me. Their bullpen is bad. Um, that is a number one way to kill a good rotation, as we have seen time and time again. Yes, we have. <laughs> their bullpen is going to lose them games. They're going to lose them a lot of games and it's going to hurt them. They're probably going to be pretty competitive at times. And then that bullpen's going to come on in and blow it. So it's kind of, that's just what makes bad teams, bad teams. You want to know what separates them from the good teams. The good teams win those games. Sounds dumb, but it's the truth. And the Marlins bullpen is atrocious. Do we think that Geo and or Detweiler are going to actually end up in their bullpen? Probably, just because there's not much, you know, competition there. And, you know, especially with a young rotation, it doesn't hurt to have two vets, one of them being a journeyman, you know, kind of been, you know, as high as pitching game four of a playoff series and as low as, you know, pitching in AAA like last year, the year before. So, you know, between the two of them, they can provide a lot of experience to – and didn't no, Geo get stuff. some Cy Young buzz that one year when he had like a 20-win year with the Nats? Yeah, he came in second to uh, R.A. Dickey. Ah, uh, I thought it was third. He came in second. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a good point. You've got a lot of young players there. Some veterans who are on the tail end of their careers certainly can't hurt, especially when you have a bad bullpen that, you know, what difference does it make? I hate to say, but. All right. So that's a look at the Marlins. Um, We will be looking at all of the other division rivals. We're going to look at the Phillies next week and the Mets and then finish up with the Braves before opening day. But let's move on now to our Twitter questions. Um, We have the first one comes in. I should say the first three here from at non roster invite. Um, Tyler, who says, why is Carter Keboom just going to walk on as the opening day third baseman? As we, as we talked about earlier, why did Rizzo not get any insurance for Keboom? Why, or why are we not screwed? Yeah, this one. So here's the lifestyle of, not the lifestyle, excuse me, the life cycle of every single Nationals prospect. They get overhyped because the team refuses to trade them for massive name guys, all-stars, Cy Youngs, you name it. And they think everyone everyone's excited. Juan Soto. Yes. Everyone gets excited. They come up way too early. They struggle. They go back down to very hitter-friendly minors. They get called back up, and it's still too early, and they struggle, and the organization gives up on them. We're in the second, or I guess the third, coming up where it's too early. Cardi Keebum's not ready. He is showing it time and time again that he's not ready, and they also have absolutely nothing to really go off of because he's been terrible every single time he's been up. He needs to be down in AAA. The only problem is the Nationals back themselves into a corner with him. His trade value is absolutely shot. They either didn't have the budget or didn't want to go out and sign someone to play third base considering what the free agency was. Um, So they back themselves in the corner and they're either going to try, give it one last haul to see, hey, we need this kid to hit or they're going to try to replenish his trade value Either way, they back themselves in the corner and they're stuck and they're going to give him at least one month to figure it out. If he's struggling at the end of the month, I would put, if I was a betting man, if he's struggling a month into the season, I would put money that he's not on the team next year. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I I don't know. I want so badly for keep him to be what we wanted him to be, but and now what he was advertised to be, I just don't see it at this point. And maybe it is just a too early thing. Maybe if they had the patience to just send him down and bring in a a real third baseman who's a proven major leaguer that they could give him the opportunity to develop. But I also think at this point, his confidence is shot, his trade value shot. You know, 
I don't know. Maybe he won't be on the team or at least not with the big club, but I don't know how many options he has left for them to send him up and down, but I, I don't yeah, think he belongs right. on the big league. If they had a better option at third, if they had another option at third base that was serviceable, I don't see why he should make the club at camp. Yeah, and it's kind of his, uh, just his his blessing that there is some competition because he's not putting much putting up much of a fight right now. Um, you know, like looking back on the third base options, obviously Justin Turner would have been a godsend mm-hmm. compared to what we what we have now. But you know, after Justin Turner, and maybe they didn't want to pay him, the third base options weren't great. So I guess you know I understand that, but they easily could have added plenty of serviceable second baseman and move Castro to third. Right. Exactly. They had that just fine. Like, you know, just going through them, Colton Wong. I I mean, I guess he got what, 12 million or something. Maybe not that much, but Jonathan VR, Cesar Hernandez, Tommy Lestella, Jonathan scope. Like there was plenty, uh, Kike Hernandez, even who's one I was, you know, rooting for uh, the Nats to sign and uh, D Gordon, even like there, there was plenty of guys that could have added, at least on minor league deals, like all of these so guys. So you had the option league. if Keboom struggled that you right. had those guys in the. All league. of these guys signed minor league deals, anyways, or at least a bunch of them, especially the third base candidates. Like there's no reason not to just bring in one. But now, like Ryan said, you've kind of backed yourself into a corner with this. And you know, one thing the Nats need to realize, or Nats fans, I would hope that the Nats uh, realize this, but. Prospects don't always pan out. You know, we, we've seen the highest touted prospects flame out before they ever get to the majors, and it's not all that uncommon. Some guys just, it does not translate. And I'm not saying Carter Keboom's there yet. I'm not going to put an official stamp on him, but we have yet to see one piece of promising, you know, play from him in his entire, you know, granted short career in the majors. Like yeah. we haven't seen anything. And the fact that he's not even getting extra base hits, that's a huge red flag because the biggest mm-hmm. the biggest red flag for him was his defense. So it's not like Victor Robles. If Victor Robles doesn't hit, well he has his defense and his speed to rely on. So it's not a complete, you know, burden to the team. But Kibum has nothing to fall back on if he's not hitting. So the fact that he's not, he is an absolute liability and you know, it, it it's it's handcuffing this team. Like at yep. this point, you you, this is going to be out there, so bear with me. At this point, because we don't have any other options, yeah, you could play Josh Harrison every day, but then who kind of fills that utility role? They don't really have one of those uh, on the roster, and they typically like to have someone who can play multiple positions, so I don't know that they want to do that. At this point, it's almost worth it to put Zim at third base if he's going to hit. Oh, my God. It's almost. I'm not. Those words just come out of your mouth. It's almost worth it. If Zim is going to hit, then it's worth it to have his batted lineup. And the defense is exactly the same as you get with Carter Keeboom anyways. It's just a thought. And I don't. He can't throw. Well, he can't throw. Yes, I I know. Trust (laughs) me. I've seen it all. The dude was playing left field, left field. And. Uh, so I get it, but the defense is exactly the same, but the offense will be twice as better. Wow. So there's going to be people who are listening to this and they're going to. Yeah, I just I just realized, you know, <laughs> what I might have just done. I was like, what is he about to say? And honestly, that one didn't even cross my mind. Like you saying to put Zim back at third I mean, is not we talked even on about, my radar. Yeah, we talked about it last episode. Josh Bell is so established that there's not really even a platoon situation for, for Zim. So if you're trying to get him in the lineup, you don't have the DH. You do have one glaring spot where Zim has had experience. Yes, he can't throw, but I mean... Just glove it for all I care. Is that shoulder <laughs> any better? I mean, I know that it was the shoulder that got him to out of first base, so. third base, and over to first yeah, anyway. Like, how's the shoulder? We don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, so we're gonna have to tweet that. But oh yeah, as, let's go into the tweets. As I was, as I was going to say, there's going to be people who roll their eyes at us talking about Keyboom because it's March, and spring training you always have to take with 
you know, a grain of salt, but it matters for young guys. And the reason why people are going to react like this with Carter Keboom is like Nick said, we've never seen any flash of talent with Garcia. Garcia was not ready last year. His OPS was in the low 600s. It was very clear he wasn't ready, but Garcia was showing the fact that he can hit opposite field doubles. He had that absolute tank of a home run in Tropicana. He showed power and he showed the flash that he had talent he could hit. We've never seen that from Keebum. Like Nick was saying, all we've seen from him is that he can strike out and he can hit slow grounders. That's literally all it is. So it's very concerning. And that was just my last note. And then also, um, yeah, Nick with the hot take of the day. I love it. Way hot take of the day. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Garcia because that seems like maybe another. Yeah, He's, another... he's not ready. He needs to be fine, yeah, too. Not... If you bring him up, you're going to completely ruin him. Yeah, yeah which what you could argue Kibu. is what they did with Kibu. Yeah, <laughs> literally, you know, same wavelength there. But, you know, can you just imagine and, you know, some people feel a way about Zim, and I, I can't blame them. I literally cannot blame them. But can you imagine, you know, just the feeling, the nostalgia you would get seeing Zim at third base? It, it oh, would Nick be, is doubling down right now. It would be pretty cool. That's all I'm saying. I'm not It would be cool if the first time fans get to see Zim after the World Series, he's at third base. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, that, shoulder is, that shoulder is fried. But again, that glove, Zim's problem has always been throwing. It hasn't been the gloving. <laughs> it's the farthest throw. But, you know, if he can but just he, glove it, that, that's more than Keyboom's doing. Yeah, but you know what? How bad is the shoulder? We don't know. I mean, he's been at first base for years. We haven't seen him try to throw in a while. He just got a year off. Maybe I the mean, anytime we have better. seen him throw, it's been horrible. I know. Horrible. <laughs> So it'll be funny to see if it if it does happen, but I don't think it's the biggest stretch because you know, especially if the Nats, well, I won't say especially if they're out of contention, but I don't think Davey would really like hesitate if he, he was forced to do that. He would just be like, okay, Sims playing third. Yeah, it does seem like something Davey would do. And, you know, just to backtrack on the conversation a little bit, when we talked about why they didn't address third base in free agency or during the offseason, is Zimp, I mean, as Rizzo told us exactly why. He says he's not ready to give up on Keyboom. He thinks he's still the guy they thought he was, and he's not going to judge anybody by the Which amount. Which is an of... absolute bold-faced lie. Right, I know, I <laughs> no know. But that's what he said, and it so. seems like that's, but he actually put his money where his mouth is, or I should say his lack of money where his mouth is. They didn't go out and get any insurance for Keyboom, which well, means. that's just a dumb move. That doesn't really well, show faith. It... No, but to me, it kind of does. Rizzo's not a dumb guy. Rizzo knows how to, you know, how to build a team. But, but we also have seen Rizzo not address needs before. Yeah, and I'm sure it's a budget they didn't make issue. A single, I'm sure if he was allowed, he would have gone out and signed Justin Turner or something. Well, even still, they didn't bring in a single person, like I said, on a minor league deal. We saw Rizzo at the deadline this past year not make a single Which move. Which Maybe that was that a maybe lame he... duck situation, but... Again, like we, we've seen Rizzo in the past for whatever reason, whether it was ownership telling him no or, you know, he just didn't make a move himself. We've seen him time and time again. This is not, you know, the first time this has happened where Rizzo has failed to make a move that was necessary for this team. That's all I'm saying. But again, that indicates that maybe he really is a true believer. He really thinks Keyboom's going to be the guy. No, I, I think it's the opposite. I think it's, you know, he just didn't make a move yet again. But the, the worst thing to come out of this whole conversation is Nat's post is going to be so mad at me for oh even God. flirting with the idea that Zim's going to be back playing third. I'm oh, tempted man. to get on Twitter right now and tell him He's already called me a that. sellout, so, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm tempted to I do it right now while we're This might be the recording. nail in the coffin for me <laughs> and uh, Nat's post, unfortunately. I think I just dug my own grave. Oh, my God. I was the last thing I would have ever expected from you. I am... I don't I think it's the craziest idea, baffled. though. That's no, I mean, if, if... I'm not advocate. It's not my, you know, it wasn't my plan A, but, like, I'm, I'm playing the cards I have at this point. Well, I mean, and if Keyboom really is, like, just dreadful and can't can't do it, I mean, what, Zim's what been else hitting. are you going to do? Zim's been hitting, so it's not like, you know... Dave, oh, God, no. I'm not, I was going to... Say it! Say no, it! I was going to say David Ortiz played first base when the, the Red Sox played... Uh, you know, interleague because he was that good of a hitter, but that would be me comparing Ryan Zimmerman to David Ortiz. So, wow. oh man. Who are you? <laughs> I mean, What's happening right now? <laughs> I'm going full Florida, man. Just going crazy. 
All this Marlin stock turned you into Florida man. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've got one more question. Ryan which is, is angry at his computer. He is like, he's probably. Oh, that like, was me. Oh, uh, I was gonna say Jesus. That's yeah, me, you are the, the loud clicker here. I am a loud clicker. All right, annoying. we've got one more question from Monty um, at on the pod today. I thought it was on the pod once. Did he change uh, his again? Uh, I put today, but I think it is once. Okay. Anyway, game seven of the World Series. Who do you want on the mound, Nick and Ryan? Taking Nick because he's actually a pitcher would be a cop out. So I think it's really interesting that Monty didn't pick Amanda. Yeah, I mean, um, what the hell, Monty? What type of agenda are you doing there, Monty? So I'm going to Amanda. <laughs> what type of agenda? What? I think I so think so much Amanda for women just, in baseball. Jeez. Yeah, no, your 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 whole your whole thing you're doing is a, a slew right now because you didn't include Amanda. So I, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm going to Amanda. Amanda's just gonna go out there and just absolutely kill him with niceness and just strike out the side. Strike them out with niceness. See how that works. You're gonna. It's. Have you seen um. Um, what's it called? Um, a bench warmer. As well, the kids were like really nice when the guy hit that oh, freaking mammoth home run, and he was like so thrown off. He's like, "I'm gonna throw the game." Yeah, it's gonna be like that. Oh, I dig man. it. I mean, it's gonna be that nice. Yeah, I'm not taking Amanda. I'm taking myself because I know I can get the job done. <laughs> With that being said, though, Ryan always was, you know, kind of like one of those pesky hitters. Like I, you know, neither of us were, in the grand scheme of things were that good, but Ryan was always like a good enough to be in the lineup so he would be you know the howie kendrick in this situation and come through in the clutch when we need him all right but this is who would you want on the mound yeah but i'm still giving credit to my boy ryan because he's a good hitter what's wrong with that i said i would take myself on the mound if you take if you give me the option of me or max scherzer i'm taking me because i believe in myself that much wow you're taking yourself over max scherzer <laughs> yeah you mean an option between me and prime randy johnson i'm taking myself 10 times out 10 yeah I'm built different. I like the confidence. I'm built different, baby. I made $1,400 in my sleep. What'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, a couple of years ago when they had the season ticket holder event and you got to like go to Nats Park and like hit in the batter's box and throw off the bullpen mound and stuff, I couldn't even get the ball from the, the mount to the catcher. So I'm not going to take myself, but I do appreciate the sentiment, Ryan. I guess since you were actually a pitcher, I'll go with Nick. Right. But I've never seen you pitch, so that's a big leap of faith. Well, I, I don't appreciate your lack of confidence in me, so you know maybe I don't want to pitch for I you. I picked you, so that seems like at least some. But confidence. it was more begrudgingly. It wasn't because you were happy with the pick. So again, I, I, maybe I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm going to pitch for you. I'm just yeah, going to go out there and blow the me game, either, buddy. Well, yeah, because I believe in myself. <laughs> well, I do not believe in myself. I believe in myself in many ways. This ain't one of them. But yeah. We would be a hell of a uh, we would be a hell of a team in Game Seven of the World Series. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know about that. I can't see how we would ever get to Game Seven of the World Series, but yeah, yeah. crazier crazier things have happened. No, I don't think crazier things have happened. <laughs> I think um, that the Rangers, the rebuilding Rangers, just beat the Flyers nine nothing without any coaches. We could do it. Have you ever nine seen Rudy? Nothing. Anything is possible. Yeah, and that was the best part of that story is that, A, they didn't score in the third period, so that score was 9 nothing at the end of the second. And also, every single one of their coaches is in COVID protocol, so they did that with no coaching. I mean... Uh, Rangers coaches are overrated. Clearly, they do better without them. And, I mean, the Flyers, just the Flyers' Twitter account earlier while this was going on was hysterical. It was like 4 to nothing, and they kept doing the regular updates like the teams always do. And then the five, the fifth one happened, and then their account said... We don't really want to give you an update, but it happened again. <laughs> and then when the sixth one was scored, they just said pain. Can we talk about how still cringe the Nats Twitter account is? I thought no. they fired everyone. Yeah, well, somebody's still there. Well, yeah, but they fired the end game coordinator. So like, these are like the actual people, not the end game people. <laughs> we didn't talk about Colco getting rehired by the Nats either. Yeah, I forgot to put um, the, he's the most vanilla broadcaster out there, but he would still he's be such better a than person. The the worst part of this is now he can't be called Mass and Dan. Mass and Dan flows off the tongue. Now he's Nats Dan, which just doesn't sound as good. Did he change his handle to Nats Dan? Uh, he's still Mass and Dan, as I saw on Twitter earlier. Well, I, he may be vanilla, but I like Dan Coco. It makes me laugh. So why though? Like I, it's not that I'm like against a guy. Like I think he's fine, but 
He, I like his, no I like the, um, see, I like the way he's got, I disagree on that. I like the way he's always, you know, over the course goober. of the season. I, yes, Cooper's unite. I, I, um, I do have a source that can confirm he has no personality. Ah, well, I disagree. I think he's funny. And I, are you, are you I like calling the, my friend a liar? I mean, I are you your friend? Anyway, I, I, you know, over the flow of the season, how all those silly little things happen where there's like the little inside jokes and, you know, you end up with the t-shirts being printed for whatever goofy thing happened that week. I like those parts of a season and how when you follow a team closely, like somebody can make a joke about one of those five years later and you know what they're talking about. I feel like Dan Coco has been a part of a lot of those inside jokes for a lot of years now. And I, I don't know. I like Dan Coco. I'm glad he's back. Yeah, uh, I'm glad he's back because I, the whole Madison situation was just terrible. So I'm so glad. I'm glad. You know, Dan was kind of like certainly not the last piece, but you know, the last primary prominent uh, guy with Bo Porter and Alex Chapel. But and they both know, landed. Yeah, they else. both landed. So you know, that's okay. So I'm definitely glad to see Dan Coco. Dan Coco land, but it's just you know, as far as a personality i just don't think there there is well i've been trying to get him to come on the pod but after you guys just said mean things about him probably now he's not going to come on Uh, well yeah that's the same reason we're never going to be able to interview fp just because of the things i say about him (laughs) yeah saying something's boring isn't a mean thing i still said he was a good i think i think think he's a nice guy it's just goober isn't an insult goober is that makes you fun i just don't know that we would be able to get much out of an interview with him well, only one way to find out. Yeah, pr- yeah, Dan, so if, if you're listening, listening this, Dan, prove me wrong. Pod. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I will happily, you know, eat that if I am wrong. Yeah, but also there's some continuity there, and I think the Madison situation's been really hard as a Nats fan just God, over the years. I, I need the Nats to get away. I need the Nats to get away from Madison, but it's like, been tough, and seeing them just slaughter all of the Nats coverage this offseason was super annoying. And it's and not like there was really much to begin with. Right. It wasn't like they were overwhelmingly covering them well to start with, but then they just got rid of everybody. And part of part of I think what makes baseball unique is the fact that it goes on for so long. The seasons are long. It's pretty much every night you've got the broadcasters in your in your house. You know, they're on your TV over and over again. You get to kind of feel like, you know, those guys and you hear their voices and it's familiar. I mean, and I when don't you make because a wholesale I can't watch the, change, the freaking well, games. Yes, there is that. But when you make a wholesale change to the broadcast team it's it's jarring when you watch the games and i think that that continuity over the years is part of what i love about baseball that when you hear a call like a call that was made in a game that was really memorable and you hear it 10 years later you remember exactly you know what i mean it's just that familiarity is important and i think getting rid of all the mass and broadcasters at once was really crappy and i'm glad at least coco will be back yeah sure in some capacity i don't know where even he's going to be but Anyway, welcome back to the Nats, Dan Coco. All right, we got anything else before we go? No, I think we're we're wrapped. I'm just gonna, you know, probably deactivate my Twitter while I'm, you know, you probably might want to just like uninstall it from out, your phone. Yeah, for a week. writing out the backlash for this Zim take. Have you tweeted it yet, Ryan? I'm, I've got no, my you, thumbs ready. You gotta at least wait for the pod to drop. Do I? I mean, <laughs> I you feel don't, like I don't. You don't follow anything we do, so. What? all right that'll that'll do it for the show all right that'll do it for the show um thanks for listening as always we appreciate you guys make sure you check us out on twitter um you can find all our handles at at half street high heat um also check out the website halfstreethighheat.com the youtube channel the rundown with half street high heat please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe on youtube and we will talk to you guys again next week There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go
By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.